sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. I'm Nate Larkin here with your friend and mine, Aaron Porter. Uh, I, I am so grateful, Aaron, that we get to have these conversations. Uh, first of all, I get to have a conversation with you. We get to talk about consequential things and then inconsequential things. And as a bonus, get to have uh, get to interview fascinating guests. I'm in a, I'm in a gratitude mode this morning, focusing on gratitude. Today, I'm really grateful to be doing this podcast. Well, that's a good spot to be. You must feel yeah. light and fluffy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, what's cooking, Aaron? What's cooking? So we were talking about how you over the last six or eight years, I don't know how long it's been since you have become a cook in your house and for your family. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a big, interesting shift for you. you it was. You did it not. Was. Did you cook much at all before that? I mean, I, I know you could. No, order no, no. Pub. And I was, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know how much I used the kitchen, but from your first visit, I, well, Allie, I think had Allie and I had lived in that house for a year, and I couldn't tell you how to turn the stove on. I didn't know. Hey, but uh, we did learn that you could cook creme brulee french toast in the freezing weather in the winter on a barbecue that's right you did it man yeah we pulled it off i was raised i I was raised in a house with very very strict gender rules uh boys were only allowed in the kitchen to do dishes that that was a we could do we could take turns with our sisters doing dishes but cooking was strictly off limits how, ar- uh, how fact, arbitrary is that? Because dishes for some people is also falls on the girl side of the line. So it's, yeah, yeah. this was just willy nilly in your house. Yeah. And you know, uh, there was a home economics class in the high school that I attended uh, that, uh, that included cooking lessons. I was not allowed to take home ec. Most of the guys in my class took home ec and they had fun flirting with the girls and cooking up and did all kinds of stuff. I was not allowed to do it for fear. I kid you not for fear that it might make me gay. Wow. Home ec is yeah. powerful back then. Yeah. 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 So when, when I met Allie, I mean, I couldn't boil an egg. I had no idea. And I was perfectly content to let her do the cooking. Cook. Allie's a, Allie's a good cook. But when she was diagnosed with cancer and uh, and treatment really took her out, it fell to me to do it. And I found, much to my surprise, that I have I enjoy it. I have somewhat of an aptitude for it. And of course, it's really simple these days. If you if you can get online and you can follow directions, or you can watch a freaking video, you can make yourself into a cook in fairly short order. Yeah, and I love it, man. So So I own the kitchen now. I own the kitchen. So tell me what you have discovered are your favorite devices or things that kind of give you a shortcut to make some some home-cooked meals uh, without being overwhelmed by the process. Have you discovered any of that world? You know I'm a gadget man. I'm a gadget addict. And and, uh, the problem right now is that my cabinets are full. I can't really buy any more kitchen gadgets 
because then I'd have to get rid of one and I don't know what I would ditch at this point. So I've got to make do. I, we did buy, an, I spent a small fortune on a grill a couple of weeks ago because we haven't had one for a while. So I've got a nice grill out on the back porch. So that's my new, new thing. I, I'm a big fan of the air fryer, man. And I got, uh, and uh, I'm Ninja, the Ninja people keep coming up with all these new kitchen appliances. Now I'm looking enviously at ones that I would like to try, but I don't have any room for them anymore. But I've got the I've got the Ninja grill. I can grill indoors and you know do steaks mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. I've got the combination air fryer pressure cooker, which is freaking amazing. You can shorten the cooking time. Uh, that I suppose that's your instant pot that just has. An air fry function, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And in this new house, this was, I wanted to get a warming tray. I was counseled by a friend that a warming tray would be very helpful, uh, but we just couldn't make it work in the kitchen. But I do have two ovens. Yeah. And that really helps. Yeah. So, so air fryer so, uh, and your instant pot are your, yeah. are your go to's. Well, and you know, I, I do a lot of stovetop cooking. Uh, I, I like to grill, uh, but yeah, I will steam. What about you? What do you like to do? Uh, uh, do you slow cook? I've got the slow cooker too. I do that. Yeah. Stuff. I mean, for me, I, I love weekends because I can just take two and a half hours to make something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But for me throughout the week, it's about speed because I'm going to have to prep something when I take a break from work during the day. And then Mm -hmm. right when I get done working, I got to start making dinner for the kids. Yeah. So air fryer has been an absolute necessity. I mean, for everything, even if I'm cooking sausage to go on a pizza, I'll throw that in the air fryer. So I don't have to really watch it, give it a shake once, and then it's ready to go on. Yeah. Uh, So I, I cook everything in the air fryer, the instant pot. I was, uh, I was a late adopter. Everybody was so into instant pot. I'm mm-hmm. like, I have a crock pot I can do slow cooking with. I have a rice cooker. I don't need it for that. Mm-hmm. But I finally got it mostly uh, so that I could do the pressure cooking. And right. we will do a lot of things like uh, pork adobo, uh, things where the meat usually takes a long time to cook. And so yeah. I can cook that meat in 40 minutes or 20, well, one the pressure but anyways it's so much i think an hour and a half less to make yeah which is braised sirloin tips over rice pork adobo yeah incredible i tell you what i neglected to mention but i'm sure it's on your list as well and patrick our good friend patrick peters really champions the sous vide yeah i was gonna say that's my third go-to for speed because i can i can put my meat in a sous vide uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the afternoon and I don't have to be precise. And then when I'm ready yeah. to cook, I'm just making a salad and throwing it on a skillet for, you know, three minutes per side just to reverse sear it. So I think I've actually bought one of those for one of my kids who is learning to cook. And I'm like, look, man, you can do vegetables. It, when I had six people in the house, I was cooking for every night. I, mm-hmm. I wish I had two of those. And I would have done at least half the cooking with those. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I think with all of this, uh, you know, Patrick was talking about it at the retreat. He did a session for guys just to see how easy cooking can be. It really is easy, and it really is fun. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. 
I guess it's not for everybody, but I think it's one of the most relaxing things in the world. Well, it's a lot healthier than the recreational diversion that I indulged in for a couple of decades. Let's just put it that way. It Indeed. And there's something, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think food is magical. Like mm-hmm. even talking about Elijah at the retreat and how, how often does God show up, whether it's for Gideon, for Elijah, and he cooks for them. Like yeah, there's yeah. a brotherhood and food sharing is a magical thing whether it's with your family or other people. And I would rather have people come over here and everybody bring something they've cooked than to go out Mm -hmm. to a restaurant and just to enjoy that together. So I think food's great. So there you go. There's our, we, we have the same like hits on our, this is the stuff to make cooking simpler (laughs) air fryers, instant pots and sous vides. Okay. That's where it's at. Hey, uh, we're gonna we're gonna reach back into the files as we look back over the records. There were a few weeks when I was out of pocket for one reason or another, and uh, you went ahead and interviewed the guests. And those interviews have not yet made it onto the World Wide Web. So we reached back to pick one up. Uh, and let me see. This is with uh, Alex Avila. Yes, not the baseball uh, player. Avila. Avila. Okay. Yes. All right. Uh, I I can't wait to hear it. Well, let's get to it. Okay. All right. We'll get to our guest when we return on the Pirate Monk. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are here with special guest coming from Colorado, USA, Alex Avila. Alex uh, is at the Relationship Institute of the Rockies. A book is coming out this next Monday, which, no, wait, this is, listeners, we love you. This is coming out way after the books come out, so you won't get the pre-order Kindle version. I just realized that. Uh But coming out with a new book, Emotional Safety, Honoring Yourself While Creating Trust and Presence to Experience Meaningful Relationships. That is one heck of a title. Right. I knew it had to have all the important things in there. Thank you, first of all, Aaron, for having me here. I look forward to talking to you. But yeah, the presence, the relationships, honoring ourselves, all while creating safety and intimacy is, is what I'm most passionate about. Well, we're going to get more to that, but first I want to hear the Alex story a little, especially knowing now that we we grew up like two and a half hours away from each other. So give us this story that brought you to the place where you are engaging people relationally in addiction and betrayal, but especially as couples, how to bring vulnerability and intimacy back to those relationships. Where did that come from? Where did you come from? Yeah, well, I grew up in San Jose, California. So yeah, not too far from where you were. And I've had a climate and a culture shock when my family moved to Minnesota. So not just the bird-sized mosquitoes, but the cold air. And it just was a different place, different surroundings from what I was used to. And How old old were you when that happened? 12. Oh, wow. So a pretty big formative time for you to make that kind of giant move. And was how big was your family? And was it just your parents and siblings? Or were you leaving like extended family that were there in San Jose? 
Yeah, we left some extended family. So yeah, it was it was my mom and my three siblings and I and grandma and grandpa. And we decided to, to go back to a town where my grandma and my mom had spent some time and just experienced what Minnesota had to offer. And so did you stay there all the way through high school? I went through high school after a little while. I wanted to get back into the city and this experience California. I moved back for about a year uh, with some great family friends and um, and then, yeah, moved back closer to the Midwest to be back with my family. I was in movie theater business, actually. It was my first, one of those careers or jobs you fall into. So I started maybe 14 years old working at a movie theater and I had an invitation to come back to the Midwest to run my own movie theater when I was about 21. And I thought that would be a cool thing to do is have my own movie theater. Um, so I moved back and it was closer to my family and kind of moved up in the company and ended up um, where I was overseeing kind of like a district manager position for eight movie theaters in the Midwest. And I stayed in that job for quite a while until you know, I went to call, went back to college and just took some assessment tests, strengths and gifts and found out like I, I could probably be a counselor. Um, so I, I made that switch. This is the second interview today that has had kind of a very odd story of someone going to counseling from a, from an, uh, an unexpected direction. So you really just took an assessment and it said, you'd be good at this. And you said, yeah. And then you did it. Yeah. I, I knew there was more, it, that something that could be more fulfilling for me and something where I really felt, and I was connecting with people, you know, on management and really enjoy that aspect of it, but just wanting to help people and figure out relationships and you know, how do these things work? And I um, wanted to be on the front lines with that. So I started my counselor training in Minnesota, moved to Colorado in order to go to graduate school. And it's so beautiful of a place. It's hard to leave here. So what led you in the specific direction of relationships? Well, I didn't have some of that growing up. And like a lot of counselors, especially those that switch careers um, and go into this, you know, I, my parents divorced, uh, my father was pretty abusive. Um, I, I just needed to see and help people understand what healthy relationships could look like. I really wanted to be a generation changer and help people Mm -hmm even if they've come from a place where maybe they were rejected, abandoned, abused, um, they could be very different and they could impact their families in very different ways and they can really transform people around them. So your, your last book was 40 Forms of Intimacy, Integrating Daily Connection into Your Couple Relationship. Both of these books are on Amazon um, as well as a couple devotional that you have. Um, when I'm 40 forms of intimacy, that seems like a lot. I mean, you got a hug, you got a kiss, uh, date night and sex from time to time. Come on. That's, that's it, right? That's what makes a healthy couple. That's all it takes, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we hear intimacy and we think of sex, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of what we've been trained, I guess, to hear or equate those two together. But sadly, a lot of times people don't experience intimacy during sex. And some mm-hmm. people will understand the terms emotional intimacy or spiritual intimacy to a degree. But I paid attention, you know, after a while, 
to all the different ways that people can connect, especially in my own marriage, uh, which is almost about 20 years that we've been married. And how do we connect? How do we feel disconnected? How does this work? And I pay attention, of course, to all my, my couple clients. Um, I'm a couple therapist primarily. So like try just paying attention to this over a process of two years and that came up with 40. So what are some of the biggest holes that you feel like people just don't even consider when it comes to intimacy? Because throughout my life, you hear a lot of, make sure you go on a date, make sure you're having good conversations, make sure you're listening. What are the areas? Cause I'm sure out of those 40, I would go, Oh, I hadn't thought about that one that you think people really need to acknowledge and see in their marriages or relationships. Right. I think listening, listening is loving, right? I put that in the book. Communication is one of the forms of intimacy, just like conflict resolution. But I would say primarily, and this is why I just finished a book on this topic is safety. And we don't Mm -hmm. know a lot about emotional safety. So what does that mean when I feel safe with you or unsafe with you to share certain things? We only share with people to the degree we feel safe. So if I have something vulnerable to share and I don't expect that you're going to respond in the way I need you to, I'm going to withhold that. And anytime I withhold something from the people closest to me, I am also withholding intimacy. So what are critical ways that we create safety within a relationship? Like you just said, listening is a very important part of that. Uh, We feel safe with others when we can be ourselves, when we can be authentic. And we create intimacy and safety when we can share what's on our mind and not have to filter. And we get that response. So we can ask for safety for someone to listen to us, the practical ways to sit down, to look at us when we talk, to make sure we carve out time to sit together, to look face to face, you know, to really slow down and be present. Uh, Being present is one of the main concepts in the book as well. When we have emotional presence, and that is showing up with our whole body, you know, our, our facial expressions, our body language, our words, our tone, everything about us that we communicate to the other person can have someone feel safe and close or unsafe and disconnected. So super important, just because I allow somebody time to talk doesn't mean I'm listening. You're describing ways that show I'm listening. So let's give some of the the negative side to that. How can I be hearing someone, but I'm still being an unsafe listener? Yeah, there is definitely a difference between hearing and listening. And if we are hearing somebody, we're going to hear the words, but when we listen, you know, we are, we are tuned in, right? Everything else around us is, is not, it's going black, right? We're, we're just focused on what this person is saying. So attunement is one of those forms of intimacy that, so that's tuning in with our whole body. Again, we, we care about what they have to say. We don't have to agree with what people say, but we can give them our attention, make them a priority. We can, don't we, again, don't have to agree. We don't give them a stamp of validation and and approval for everything that they say. We don't have to agree, but we hear them. We tell them it makes sense uh, from where they're coming from. And when people feel listened, they feel valued. And especially when people close to us do that, we feel cared for. And when Mm -hmm. we feel cared for, we're going to feel close to someone. And that's how that intimacy loop can work. 
So you mentioned some other practicals, your eyes, what you look like, where you're looking while they're talking, uh, body posture. If you're leaning back with your arms crossed, that is just not going to feel like you're listening, even if you are, right? Exactly. If, if you're on your phone, that definitely won't feel like you're listening. Yeah, there, there's no room for multitasking in close relationships. So do you see certain ways that are different between men and women, areas that they need to specifically maybe work on that's unique to their gender, or is there just a ton of overlap? There is a lot of overlap, and I, I like that there is because it makes us feel a lot more close and similar than different, but there certainly are some differences. Um, I think a lot of men, at least in my experiences, uh, we haven't learned about what emotional intimacy looks like. Um, it seems like a foreign concept. I have taught a workshop for about 10 years based on emotionally focused therapy. And, and at the end, it's a two-day workshop. So literally a 13th hour, it's a 14-hour workshop. 13th hour, when I'm going around and checking with people, of what was this like for you? What kind of feedback? You know, what did you learn? Um, I have heard multiple times the question, what does it mean to feel connected? And to me, I felt, wow, I didn't do my job over two days here to help people really understand this is how you attain connection and intimacy because it can seem so intangible. So um, it is hard to understand. And I think what we learn as men a lot of times is the physical part, is the sexual part. You know, it's concrete, it's tangible. Like we know that. We know we're doing good. We're still looking for feedback and cues that we're close Maybe that, you know, spouses or partners enjoying themselves, like that's easy. That, that seems like it's attainable, but this whole emotional intimacy thing is, is tough because we haven't really been taught that well. A lot of us haven't been modeled these ways to connect. Would you say that men, and, and I certainly know women who do this, but in general, that when men are listening, they're listening for the fix. Like, okay, I'm hearing what the problem is and I'm ready to jump in and help you solve it. Does that happen? And can that make someone feel like they're not being listened to? That's very common. You know, I think the heart, sometimes the willingness is there. You know, I, I want to fix, I want to solve a problem. Sometimes we're trying to solve a problem that's not there and mm -hmm. that can be frustrating for couples. So if it, you know, if woman is, is say, sharing something and they just want the partner to listen and be there, just be present, show me that you care. And, you know, the man is going through this bullet point list. I'm just trying to make organized information. And sometimes our brains do that. We're organizing information. We're trying to come up with, okay, what am I supposed to do here? I want to get it right. I want to succeed. I don't want to fail, but what is she really asking? What do I need to do? And so we, I think, go to fix it mode a lot of times. So if we think about as a speaker, if we share something very easy to share, just, um, I'm going to share something with you right now. And can you please just listen for a little bit? I don't need you to solve anything. I just really want you to listen. And that can put us at ease because we know it's expected of us, but could also yes. really threaten the extreme problem solver because like, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. Okay. So you just did half of a potential solution. If, if you're listening listener and you know, that's your go-to that you, it is hard to listen without trying to come up with a solution. 
One, if you're married to someone like that, it's okay for you to ask for what you need, which is to say, hey, I I just want to talk about this. Please don't feel like you need to fix it. I just want to be heard. It's okay to ask for that. And if your spouse is talking and you don't know what they're actually needing, now tell me if I'm wrong. You're the expert, Alex. It's okay for you to say real quick, I'm listening, but I'm, I, I, I want to know what you're needing. Do you need me to just listen or do we need to work through this? It's okay, right, to ask for that? I think it's not only okay, it's preferred. Uh, a lot of times we just need to know how to show up and we talk over each other and this happens at work and then we're supposed to just shift gears and be at home and, and slow down and be more emotional, be more aware of our emotions and, and talk on a, a deeper level. These are our most important people right at home. So we don't always make that switch, first of all, but yes, to slow down and say, like, I really want to listen to what you have to say, but I'm wondering know what you want from me in this moment um, so i think it it's great if the speaker can share that sometimes if they know they need the person to listen and they know they default to problem solving to tell them can you please just listen or hey i have a problem or something i came up with work i'd love to run some ideas by you can you please think about this and can we come up with some some things together that would really save a lot of heartache right prevent a lot of unnecessary misunderstandings and arguments, which lead to disconnection, frustration, and that same old cycle that we all get trapped in as couples. One way that I immediately picture on how emotions can feel unsafe is when I forget that in a conversation where I'm being vulnerable, emotional vulnerability is is undressing and being naked in my soul. We can have physical intimacy where we get naked, but this is like I'm now naked, and when I experience someone responding to that nakedness by just starting to grope or groom or do whatever they want without permission, it feels unsafe. It feels like a violation, like I've put myself in this position, and now I feel very uncomfortable, and what's happening is not what I wanted, and I think it it helps me. That's a very stark way of looking at it. It makes it a little scary to screw it up. But I kind of think it should be a little scary to screw it up, which is why asking permission is a very safe thing to do. It is. I love the way you put that. You know, and it's it's sacred, right? Somebody is is really peeling out the layers when they ask us a question and expect us to respond to something that's private or personal, and and we feel that feeling. That's what we have to listen to when we hesitate or we pause and like I don't know if I'm ready to share that. We don't have to share it. We can give ourselves permission to say out loud to that person, like, you know what? I'm, I don't want to answer that. I'm not ready to go there. Or another great thing is just to say, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm going to think about that and I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. We can do that with our romantic partner as well. We don't always have to, and we always can't think on the spot of you know, this wonderful response. So we talked a little about the men. I want to hear about the women. I know for me, if I'm being vulnerable, one of the things I need the most is for them to move closer and to have some kind of touch makes me feel safe. A hug, a hand on the shoulder, just touch. If I feel like what I'm sharing is too much and I feel them move away, then that makes me feel incredibly rejected. So what are some things that you've seen that are more common to women in a relationship that makes it feel unsafe for men? 
Yeah, I think when they're upset, when they're angry. Uh, so a lot of what I, I work in now is is helping couples repair betrayal. And I work with men individually, work with women uh, and, and couples. And so when they're angry because they're hurt and the the male partner is seeing that, they're picking up on these cues that you know she's disappointed in me, I failed again, it's never going to be enough. And they're starting that kind of individual mental spiral. Um, yeah, every signal they're picking up, it brings up that shame. It brings up rejection. It being, brings up abandonment and inadequacy. All these deep, painful, unbearable feelings that we have um, as men, but everybody. And we can't share that. We can't show that, especially as men. We're not really taught to go there. So we pick up on those cues. So I, I would think for, for women to be able to be aware um, of, of how they come across and how, what messages are they sending. And it is very unique. For every man and woman, every case, you know, every coupleship is this very distinct um, and unique. And I think we have to know each other's places that we need to be careful. We don't want to tiptoe and avoid. We want to be sensitive and be aware and be present. And if we know that a disappointing look, rolling my eyes at my partner is going to have the just send them right into rejection and inadequacy and feel dismissed like we have to be super sensitive about those little critical moments that's crazy though probably how few couples have sat down and actually said let's take purposeful time over the next six months to unpack what are what are the things that make you feel what so for me rejection would be a big thing what are the things and to say okay these words uh, this look makes me feel this way to actually unpack those things that if we have them and then honor them, man, we've just cleared the table of a lot of problems. Is there a, is there a good way that a couple can engage that? Cause that, that could probably feel a little bit ominous to a couple that's never thought about that before. Every time we have a conversation and sit down and talk about our feelings and what we need no, we have a we're in a much better position to get those needs met and to be validated and to be heard and to be known. But if we don't know these things, we can't share them. And if we don't share them, our partner won't know. And we can really share them with them the roadmap to our hearts if we can find this information out ourselves first. So a wonderful resource. This this is the book that I based my workshops on for 10 years um, was is called hold me tight by sue johnson so she developed emotionally focused therapy and th there's specific things in that book all about um, sharing feelings and needs and vulnerability and safety and everything that gets in the way what she calls our raw spots and mm -hmm. how do we communicate those so she gives you a framework helps guide you to that so um, that would be a, a wonderful guide for people to pick up in order to, to fix that. And when you talked about active listening, we can see if we're looking at another person and we say something and it hits them in a raw spot, we can see them flinch in some way. Mm. There's going to be a body language change. And if we really want to be heard, it seems important that we pause there and say, what just happened? Like I saw something happen. And the rest of the conversation isn't going to be worth having if we don't address that, because whatever happened, now that person is probably retreating into that raw spot, right? 
Oh, that'd be perfect, right? If we could all slow down, that's the being present. Like I said, we can't multitask. We have to be singly focused on that person. But something just happened to be aware. We always know that. We see that. But I don't know mm-hmm. that we talk about that or call it out. Like, hey, what just happened? That's what a therapist can help us with. But right. to do that in our own homes, their own relationships, that'd be great. Just to say, hey, I, I hit something I, there. Yeah. I love that you said we know it because – I feel like some people might think they're not that intuitive. I think we all know when that happens, but man, it's so easy in a relationship to just get used to rolling past that. And then the conversation probably gets harder because of it. But I I do think that almost everybody notices when that happens, when it gets awkward or uncomfortable, or there's just a shift in the vibe. But like you said, this is all so intangible. Yeah. Yeah. We, we react. I mean, it's, it's, in us, right? It's it's natural for us to re- to react to that in the moment, and that is going to hit those sensitive areas. So, if we can do something with that, and that's what we need, that's why we need safety. Is we need to call that out and just say, "Hey, what you did right there, you know, just hurt me in this specific way." But we're not having safety, that's the barrier because we can't open that up. If we open up before we're ready, like you said, I mean, it, we're naked, we're exposed. Um, that's going to be even more painful. So a lot of times we just immediately seem to conclude that it's worth not even bringing it up. It's better not to say anything at all. Hmm. How does safety, uh, emotional safety work in a couple where one is struggling with addiction? How does it change in that dynamic? I would say, yes, yeah, safety is primary. I mean, we're not going to be able to recover well, especially heal the betrayal if it's a relational betrayal without safety and, and that that's going to look like my being present again for you. It's going to be like my listening, my validating your fears, um, me fully understanding the pain that I caused you. Uh, we, there needs to be emotional safety on both sides. Mm-hmm. So the person that might be hurt, and if it is an emotional or sexual betrayal that they are able to communicate the specific pain and the other person who caused it is able to be present, listen to that, um, acknowledge that sincerely, and to reassure that person, take steps that this won't happen again, because that's what they're looking for if somebody's been betrayed. Like, why did you do this? How could you do this? And how will I know it won't happen again? And mm-hmm. they need that reassurance. And that starts with the safety. It starts with how they show up and really begin to reassure that, hey, I'm different. I'm getting help. This isn't going to happen again. Yeah, this is in the same way. Something uh, substance abuse might not feel like it has that same emotional betrayal, but it usually does. So how have you seen that where possibly a person who has been an alcoholic feels like, well, this is just something I've been doing. This, this isn't something I did to you. And yet the other person might feel an incredible amount of emotional betrayal. Right. It's, it's still trust that has been violated for a lot of those times if, if someone has an addiction if they're abusing alcohol um, or dependent on it it's typically they're hiding it they're spending more money on it than they they said they're um, if they're driving afterward that could be a problem um, so anything that has the partner feel unsafe unsettled just unsure you know like, i don't know if he's going to be home tonight or I don't know if she's going to have more wine than usual tonight and embarrass me in front of my family so any thing that we're not sure or certain of 
we need safety and we need conversations. And sometimes we really need that changed behavior. Yeah. Well, tell me about some of these other forms of intimacy and these 40 forms of intimacy. So we've- yeah, so can I, I paid attention, you know, probably for about two years of all the different ways I felt connected to my wife and how I've seen other couples feel connected. The first one I thought of was project intimacy. And, oh. you know, it's working on projects. So a lot of these things are things people are already doing. And that's a big reason I wanted to put this book out there is that people might not recognize how many ways that they already feel close. And I was wanting them to have, you know, to have hope, to have, to feel like, Hey, we could take credit. That counts for intimacy. That so counts. working on projects together was something my wife and I have done when we're working on our house and you know, creating something. And, you know, we feel good planning it. We feel good as we're doing it. A lot of the work we do ourselves and do it together. And we feel great afterward looking at what we've done. So I thought that, what is it about that? So I, I put that project in there. Another one is food. Like, I want to ask you about, I want to ask you a question about projects. Mm -hmm. If, if two people are dissimilar in what they enjoy doing, so maybe one person really loves redecorating uh, or putting together Ikea furniture and the other person is like, that feels like the worst day of my life. Can I please go back to the salt mine? Uh, Is there a kind of like children do parallel play. Is there a version of projects that's like parallel play where a spouse can be in the same room enjoying a book or having a conversation or working on their own project while the other person is assembling their terribly fun Ikea furniture? Does that count as well? Yeah, I believe I mentioned that too, like sit, sitting in the same room, I mean, even watching TV, we don't want to have that as a primary intimacy, but like we're in the same room, we're spending time together, we might not be doing the same things, but you know, we are together. You know, we're doing things that we enjoy, uh, or one of us enjoys. But part of what I put together in the book was coming up with an inventory or a list of what are these things that you can rank out of the 40 that you enjoy, you know, from one to five. What are the mm-hmm. things that I enjoy? And let's have a good combination of those things that overlap, especially when we hit number four and number five. But I'm going to hit some of your number threes, or I'm sorry, your number fives. If I don't think it's that great, but it's important to you, I'm going to figure out, I'm going to read that chapter on that form of intimacy and figure out how to show up for you in that area. And I hope and, you do that same for me. And I'm not going to make you feel like you owe me when I give you a number five that's a two on mine. Right. Yeah. So definitely talking about it, having conversations about it, compromising and making sure there's a good balance of, of shared interests and in how they spend mm-hmm. their time together. Oh, I think that's a great way to use that book. And as such a great conversation starter. All right. You were about to say food. I want to hear more about food yeah. intimacy. Give it to me. Yeah. Food. Again, another area to pay attention to that we do every day. So if we're thinking about you know, some people plan their food menu for the week. Um, some people you know, just do it spontaneously. But if you're both a part of that decision, you know, food, you find the foods you enjoy. If you're preparing them, if you're eating them, you know, even cleaning up together afterward, it might not sound like a great way, but, but you can feel connected that way. Um, I know when my wife and I have entertained and we've had people over, we're preparing together. You know, we're busy with people are there, but afterward, we're both picking up, we're cleaning, we're doing this as a team and anything that we could do as a team 
and it helps us feel connected. Mm-hmm. All right. Give me, give me at least one more. This is too fun. <laughs> All right. So um, outreach is one. And I really believe mm-hmm. when a couple is aligned and wanting to serve other people, you know, whether they are giving financially or donating things or giving of themselves, their time and energy to a cause or to help somebody, it, it just brings something up in them as individuals that they're doing something for a bigger purpose. And as a couple, it can also help them feel more connected. I don't know what percentage this is true for, but I have known a lot of women that when they're watching their husbands serving at a place that they're serving at, there is nothing sexier to them that they can imagine than watching their man serving other people. I've heard it. I believe it. Yeah. If you, <laughs> if you could show up in that way, man, as, as doing something that is serving and honoring and it really gets the attention of your spouse or partner like that, that is something to do. Right? as long as you're doing it for the right reasons, it's, it's something that can have you know, a, a trifold effect. All right. Give me another one. Give me another one. All right. This is too fun. It's hard to choose. Um, so I have financial intimacy. Oh, wow. Okay. So some of these things are areas where people can get really stuck. And part of what I wrote, you know, a lot of this I wrote as I would say these things to a client from a counselor, you know, so I'm saying these things at the end of each chapter, I'm talking about specific exercises of how you can work in this, but I was thinking of where people get stuck and you know finances, parenting, sex, all all that can be, you know, some major places. So with finances, you know, preparing fine there's a lot of security in our you know financial picture. So uh, when we are talking about and making decisions together about how we're earning money, first of all. So, you know, I'm glad you got that opportunity or that you know, invitation for a raise or promotion, but you know what? That's not going to fit for our family. And they make that decision together, or I'm so glad you've worked so hard. You have this opportunity. Yes, definitely take this offer, um, and and that's going to help us. We're going to make more money. Maybe we're going to feel more secure, and we're going to feel great when we're paying off bills. Um, we're saving money. We're purchasing things. We're giving again. We're investing. We're looking ahead toward retirement. Like all those conversations around money can be tense or they can be opportunities for a couple to feel close. So I'm hearing that thinking back over lots of financial conversations with couples. And it seems like there were two major categories. The first was one person or both would make money, but they were disconnected from the bills, from the planning, budgeting, and the other person did all of that. And so there was, there's just no connection in it. And the other couples, one would be really trying to budget and manage. And the other one was consistently undermining that because they weren't a part of the process and spending money that wasn't there. I think both of those types of couples would be terrified to pursue financial intimacy. (laughs) So what are some ways that can make it feel like, oh no, this will be worth it for you. I mean, all intimacy ends up being worth it in the end. Yeah. It takes an investment right, of time and effort and there's some sacrifice. Um, so they might have to go to financial class first to g- gain some mm-hmm. tools and ideas uh, to work through some of these things. But 
But I'd say anytime you could work together as a team, at least on the decision-making part. So a lot of couples, there's one that's more skilled or interested in managing the finances. Uh, so maybe they could do that. Yeah, you take that. That's fine. I don't need to be involved in the details, but but then let's check in about it. You know, I'd say at mm-hmm. least every two weeks, if a couple can sit down and talk about some of the the minor things, but you know, especially the the big things every once in a while that they're they're looking for debt and you know retirement. But you know, if they can sit down and have this conversation together, you know, that's the main thing is that they're a team. You know, they can start to look at this in a new way and they could start to heal even some of those old wounds that maybe were caused from how they mishandled money or how they didn't feel like they had support from the other person. The wounds is important there. I'm thinking of if one person is trying to manage the money and the other person is making that difficult, that they can easily become a hoarder. Like they're, they try to keep money from the other person because there have been those. It is another type of betrayal. It's a real one for them. Probably caused a lot of anxiety. But then to move towards healing, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> to move towards healing and have a positive way, not just how do I save money, <clears throat> which to the other person might feel like hoarding money because they're probably way more into fun but to also have part of the budget we're going to be saving towards this thing that you're looking forward to doing or having like there are positive ways that that can make it feel safe i mean to me you brought up the finance thing uh, or the safety emotional safety and the finance just feels like ooh that that might be one that yeah you got to take a class and say okay we're going to do a reset but here are the new rules and let's try to make this safe and enjoyable so yeah. that's that's yeah. a good one Definitely in, in the future, I mean, a lot of couples, they want to go to the same place. And that's sometimes that we have to remember, we want to go to the same place. We want to feel financially secure. You know, we have this idea of retirement or, you know, providing these things for our kids. And um, so if they remember they have the same goal, they're probably just going to have different ideas and methods of how to get there. So if they go to a class and they can learn new things together, and the biggest thing is that they're open to learning and that they share their thoughts and their feelings. And, and again, it comes back to you know, safety and approachability. Can, can I share this with you and know that you'll hear me even if you don't agree? So it comes back to these you know, very important and vulnerable conversations, but the skills, the tools of listening and respect and validating, like those are going to keep showing up. All right, give me one more. What's, what's one of your favorites? Well, um, we got to go past sexual intimacy because that's too obvious. Um, resting. Okay, go on. We don't rest enough, right? Like I, I know that if I'm busy and productive, and you know, but we're going, we're moving, and we're not to use the word present again. We're not slowing down to be with each other. So if we can plan times for rest. Uh, even if one person likes a nap, the other person doesn't, but they can find these activities where, you know what, we're just going to plan rest. Um, my wife mentioned this to me several years ago, and I, I now do this all the time, but um, I would say, I'm going here, I'm doing this, I'm having this meeting, and then I'm going to work. And she's like, well, when are you going to rest? And I started planning and writing in my calendar now, rest. So I give myself that buffer, that gap where I can reset 
And I'm going to be a better self at work and at home if, if I am rested, you know, rather than anxious and overwhelmed and just busy and distracted. So I really believe resting. And when couples can do that together well, um, they reset well, they refresh their sense of hope in their relationship. So when they go on vacation, they're going to feel better. Um, but even just the day-to-day, building in time to relax, to oh. sit together, to look at the stars, to be quiet, you know, maybe sit in a hammock or sit on a patio and, and read together. You're just, you're kind of just checking out from the busyness of life together. Uh, that is so convicting when you said go the go on vacation part, that if you've done the resting before, I would always waste at least the first two or three days of any vacation trying to get my brain to stop being in go mode. And what an amazing side effect. I don't know. I, especially at this point in my life, my life is very busy. And I talk to friends from Europe that have siesta cultures and like, I don't know how in the hell you pull this off. Like, how do you feel okay with this? And they're like, I don't know how you feel okay with what you do, uh, except except with a cool accent, they say it. So I don't know that I even know how, what the first steps to developing a, a true mm, discipline of rest looks like. Is it you just got to do it and push through it at first? Or... Give me, give me some first steps. Yeah, it's very difficult, right, to just slow down. And sometimes it does start with taking things off your calendar and creating some more of that margin and being able to say no, right? It starts with boundaries. You know, I always thought if I'm saying yes to other people, other things, I'm saying no to my wife. Mm. So I had to be, even if I was doing great things, you know, I'm volunteering, I'm helping people move or something like that. I'm saying yes to them. I'm saying no. So I, I had to, I started with taking things off my calendar, saying no more often and setting boundaries I needed to. Um, so after you kind of take some things off, you sit back, sit back and evaluate how am I spending my time and energy? And is, is this giving me a good return, you know, for the energy, the time, the money that, that it takes away from what's the most, what's most important in my life, which, you know, that, Sometimes we are not present for those because we're so busy with all these other things. That's an amazing question to ask ourselves. I love questions I can ask myself. And that idea of I don't say yes to anything that isn't causing something else to be a no. So before I say yes, I need to at least acknowledge what I'm saying no to and ask myself, am I okay with that? Because usually, like you said, if it seems like a good thing, for a good purpose or a good outcome, it should get a yes, but I don't acknowledge what I'm saying no to. And I'm sure if I acknowledged a lot of those things, I would not feel like that was a worthy use of the time. Right. Yeah. And the personal rest, we're going to show up better for our relationships, for our work, for everything else that we're passionate about. If we have the rest and we take care of ourselves, you know, we make that time for self-care and uh, we're checking out, you know, so spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, we are resetting and we have a plan You know, every day, every week, we have to do something. And it might be, again, that first step of taking things off of our calendar, but then also sitting. It's, it's not the same for everybody. We can't just sit in quiet. Some of us, you know, we need to 
have some kind of stimulation, even during our quiet time. So thinking about what works for you, and it might be a nap, it might be a walk, it mm-hmm. might be you know, going for a drive, and that's resting. You know, anything where you can just plug, unplug um, from just the stress, the the normal constancy of life. And, and again, when you can do that together as a couple, I think you really can reflect better on like what you have around you and, and appreciate. One of the forms of intimacy is appreciation. So you appreciate nature. You appreciate you know, what you have, what you're grateful for, and especially each other. What do you appreciate about each other specifically? Well, Alex, people can go to Amazon. Your book will, by the time this comes out, probably been out a couple weeks, but uh, Emotional Safety can also pick up 40 Forms of Intimacy there. How else can people get into your world, find out what you're doing, learn some good stuff? Yes, thank you. So you can go to my website, alexaavila.com. So my last name, A-V as in victory, I-L-A.com. And you can find out how to contact me there. My email address is on there and phone number and and get connected with me there. I have an online relationship course as well that um, you can look at. But that's the best way to get a hold of me and and see if you want want counseling, coaching, um, speaking, and different things like that to offer. Just contact me. Well, listeners, Nate is still in Italy, so we're just going to wrap this thing up right now. Remember that you can send your questions or your comments or your thoughts or whatever to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, If you want us to address any questions on the show, then throw them out there. Do do we think there's aliens that are going to come and suck our eyeballs out? Send it in. We'll talk about it. Uh, So... We're wrapping it up. Alex, thank you so much for spending this time today. I've enjoyed this a lot. I I love healthy relationship stuff. It just gets me all excited. So I love what you're doing. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you for having me here, and thank you for helping people by what you do. All right, and we will talk to you next week here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.